Hi and welcome to the Mount Hamilton Baptist Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. For more information, go to mhbc.ca. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. But you can find it in the Bibles in your pews on page 795. The parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Thank you. Thank you, Aravind. So I am always intrigued by a good treasure hunt. And I recently learned about a type of treasure hunt that I was unfamiliar with. It was very popular in the 19th century in Victorian England. And this was the hunt for, I'm going to see it on the screen, orchids. Did you know that there was a season where finding orchids was quite a lucrative and even dangerous task? Uh, did you know that? Maybe some of you knew this. I found this very interesting. I just read a book about it. Um, basically, at the beginning of the 19th century, uh, a man came back from traveling overseas to Britain and discovered that an orchid had survived in his suitcase. As he began showing people this, it started what was known for the next 100 years or so as orchid fever. And orchid fever was a big deal because this was such a precious and rare plant. They rarely survived the journeys across the seas, and only the very wealthy and prestigious could afford orchids. The hunt for rarer and different forms of orchids uh, grew and increased, and in fact, there are stories in the 1800s of individual orchid plants selling for thousands of dollars. Might seem interesting to us. And what would happen is uh, there were kind of two different groups that would really look for these orchids. They all became known as orchid hunters, treasure hunters, really. And it could be people that didn't have a lot of means and their hope was to find orchids and make their fortune. Or more often, there were wealthy benefactors that would send orchid hunters around the world to line their own pockets. And people risked life and limb to find new and more exotic orchids. In fact, many people died, and many people got caught up in great rivalries. There are stories of people harming, chasing each other, trying to, uh, you know, uh, burn the crops of one group, and that burned the plants of one group, and they found them. It was very competitive. Many people did lose their lives. In 1901, an expedition of eight orchid hunters entered the jungle of the Philippines. Of those eight, one was eaten by a tiger. One was doused in oil and burned to death by uh, local indigenous people. The other five disappeared and were never seen again. Only one came out alive to make his fortune. There are many other stories. People kept looking. William Arnold, an orchid hunter, drowned in the Orinoco River. Gustavo Wallace died of yellow fever and malaria. David Bowman caught dysentery, and he died in the jungles of Columbia. Albert Millikan was stabbed to death by one of his rivals. People risked everything to find rare orchids. It may seem funny to us now because we can just go to Fortino's and buy them. It may seem odd to us that people think of people giving up their lives, taking great risks, giving up all their resources to chase after this treasure. 
And we might ask if there would be a treasure today that we would give up so much to find. Would there be a treasure to us that will be worth all we owned? Would there be a treasure that is worth our lives? By now you probably know where I'm going with this because Aravind already read the story to you. But Jesus actually said that there was. That was the exact examples he gave. He said the kingdom of God is like a treasure. And he used two examples of treasures that would have been well known at the time. And the first story said that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is digging in a field and he finds a treasure. And when he finds it, he hides it again. And then he goes and sells everything he owns so that he can buy the field and hence own the treasure. This is not actually a completely unforeseen scenario. I mean, the region of Palestine was very tumultuous, is now, was then. So often, you know, there were wars, there were battles, there were lots of things that got buried. And it was actually quite common for people to put treasures that they had in jars and cases and bury them in the ground with the hopes of going back and finding them later uh, to protect this from looters and from people coming into their cities. And so this was actually something, you know, people kind of hoped for. They, they knew stories about that people would find treasures in the ground. And this man finds a treasure, and it's so valuable that he's willing to sell everything else he owns so that he can have it. That's the first story Jesus tells. The second story Jesus tells, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl. Now, we probably still know that finding pearls is a lot of work, right? There, where there are in oyster shells, you've got to do a lot of digging. This is a more modern, but couple hundred years old photo of what looking for pearls looks like. And this is uh, uh, in the region of Asia, so it's the next slide. And then what you'll see is that, of course, there's the deep sea diving that has to happen, right? Now, this is still like 1,800 years later than what they were doing at the time to find pearls. Finding a pearl was very valuable. And to the Romans, and this is the Roman Empire that this is happening in, pearls were a symbol of wealth and prestige fit for a god. They took this so literally that the marble statue of the goddess Venus was lined with the best and largest pearls, including matching round pearl earrings. And in fact, they felt so strongly about the superior nature of pearls that there were efforts to prohibit certain people who weren't deserving of wearing pearls. Only certain classes, they thought, should even be allowed to wear something so valuable and beautiful. And so here we have a merchant looking for pearls. He's probably found lots of small pearls in his life, but he finds one pearl that is so perfect and so incredible that he's willing to sell absolutely everything else to own that one very valuable pearl. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure and sells everything he can to find it, to keep it. It's like a merchant who finds a pearl and sells everything he owns to own that one pearl. Uh, we've been talking about the kingdom of heaven. And I've explained that Jesus often talks about the kingdom of heaven, interchangeable with the expression kingdom of God. In the Bible, we read him explaining what this would look like. And a lot of people before Jesus came, they thought, well, the kingdom of God is going to look like a ruler coming and giving our nation, the nation of Israel, back its power. We're going to have a powerful king. We're going to be in charge. Jesus had some different ideas about the kingdom of heaven. He said, the kingdom of heaven is here because I'm here. And because Jesus has come, the kingdom of heaven has come. And every time we live the way that Jesus has invited us to live, we are bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. 
The kingdom of heaven is God's world looking like God wants, full of love, justice, mercy, and hope. And we've also remind ourselves that we bring this kingdom, we are catching glimpses as we bring it to our day-to-day -day lives, as people seek to bring those things that God longs for to our world, and we're also waiting for the completion when Jesus returns. And we've talked about what that kingdom of heaven is like, how we live into that kingdom. And we talked about how the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus, these are Jesus' words, is like mustard seed and yeast. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like mustard seed and yeast, which is very tiny. But when you plant mustard seed, it grows into a really big plant. And when you put yeast into dough, it spreads and makes it much bigger. And the kingdom of heaven is like those little things that turn into so much more. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a net. And when a fisherman casts it into the sea, it catches many kinds of fish. And we talked about how the kingdom of heaven is a broad net that God does the sorting later. We said the kingdom of heaven is like a king who forgave uh, someone who owed him a lot of money. We actually said a kajillion billion dollars because we didn't really even have an equivalent of what that amount would be. And so we said the kingdom of heaven is like a blank account book where there is no record of wrongs. We are greatly forgiven. And then Stan Porter talked about how the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a man who hired people to work in his vineyard. And he hired some at the beginning of the morning, some later in the day, some later in the day. And at the end of the day, everyone was paid the same amount. And we had a paycheck here to remind us that there are not some who are more privileged in God's kingdom. No matter how long or how well we serve, that God gives us all a wonderful equal reward. And then Sam talked about how the kingdom of heaven is like a banquet that we're all invited to. And we all receive the invitation and there will be many there who are invited that may surprise us. And then we talked about how the kingdom to come is like a group of women who were waiting for a wedding. And they had lamps, which were part of the wedding processional. And some of them had enough oil for their lamps after the first bunch of oil wore out. But some didn't. And so Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like that because we must remember that we are waiting. And sometimes it involves waiting. And last week we talked about when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a master who gave his servants a lot of money. He used the word talent, which was a form of money at the time. And how the kingdom of heaven is like a God who gives us great resources and gifts that we can use for God. And today we say that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Probably more valuable than this dollar store treasure box, but, you know, work with me. And so the kingdom of heaven is like all of these things. And I admit that when I chose, to, when I laid out this series, I wanted to end with this story, even though if you're noticing it, you're noticing actually we've gone backwards in the book of Matthew, and it's kind of in the midst of passages we already looked at. But I thought, I want to end after we've talked about all these things. And we say, you know, it's like mustard seed, it's like yeast, it's like a net, it's like forgiving, it's all these things. By saying this point that Jesus made was, and all of that stuff is worth it. All of that stuff is good. That the kingdom of heaven is valuable. It's worth everything. It's worth living for. It's worth giving everything else up to live in that way. And I admit that this is where we might ask, like, really? Are we sure? I admit that I have doubts sometimes. And it's a question I'm often asked. I mean, is there really any value to living the Jesus way? We can ask this because, after all, Jesus never said the ways of the kingdom are easy. They are never said to give us a promise that things will always work out the way we want. 
Instead, the kingdom of heaven is this kingdom that invites us to small acts, to make great change, which we may never see the fruit of all that is planted, to cast nets broadly and then we don't get to sort them, to trust God to sort that net out, to give our lives for a kingdom where we receive no special privilege over others, where people we might think not think should be invited will actually be invited, that we will have to forgive and we will forgive even the undeserving, that it involves waiting even when we're impatient, that it is giving of our talents and resources for kingdom service instead of our our own benefit and yeesh right we might say why would we give everything to live that way could this kingdom living where other people go first before us where we don't seek profit for profit's sake where we live for the sake of the values of Jesus could this actually be a good kingdom is this actually worth giving everything up for and admittedly many would say that it's ridiculous the ways of the kingdom, they would say, are so against so much of what our culture teaches that we're taught makes sense. After all, the kingdom does not say, look out for number one, as we're often told. It says, look out for others, even if it's hard on you. And it doesn't say, fight back. It says, turn the other cheek. And it doesn't say, protect yourself. It says, forgive. If we looked at kind of these broad categories that we use for things, I, I know in seminary we would use these where I was trained to be a minister, we would talk about these categories of what God speaks into and we would say money, sex, and power, right? The things that often have so much sway in our world. And the kingdom values of those things, Jesus' kingdom's values, are different than our culture's values. The kingdom's values of money do not say that our goal is to get as much as we can, and that money will make us happy, and if we just have all these things that others have, that that will be enough, that actually what the kingdom values say about money is that our money isn't even ours, but everything we have is meant to bring that love, justice, mercy, and hope to the world, that God's loaned it to us to do God's work. And the kingdom values of sex don't say what our world teaches us, which is that it's about meeting a physical need, which is about often objectifying others, but that in fact sex belongs in a covenanted relationship and that our bodies are temples of God to honor God even with our body. That's the kingdom value. And the kingdom value of power isn't that we try to get power and hold on to power and see who has the most of it and make sure everyone knows I'm in charge, but that we actually give our power away just like Jesus. And I mean, you can see why people would say, that's not treasure, <laughs> That, that doesn't sound valuable. And lots of people will say that it's not good. They'll say, right, you've heard this, that the kingdom values, or they'll say the Bible, right, or Jesus, or religion, or whatever word you want to fill in there, it, Christianity, it makes no sense. It's outdated. It's naive. It's ignorant. It's all these kinds of things. Some will even say it's dangerous. It's done harm. But what I want to ask us to consider today is if we think the teachings of Jesus are true, what if this is the case? What if, when we live into the kingdom of God, that it's not actually something dangerous? What if it's a treasure? What if the kingdom is not outdated? What if it's a treasure? What if it's not naive? What if it's a treasure? What if it's not irrelevant, untimely, unnecessary? What if it's a treasure? That's actually what Jesus said. And this isn't the only time he implied it or said it pretty bluntly. When he called uh, his disciples to follow him, he said, come and follow me. And we see them leaving everything behind. He called some people who are fishermen. They're literally mid-fishing and they leave their nets and they follow. Because he says it's a treasure. <laughs> 
He calls a tax collector, a man who would have worked in government work, leaves everything behind, follows. There's a story in the Bible that we often use in this context of a man who comes to Jesus. It calls him the rich young ruler. And he says, Jesus, you know, I've been keeping all the commands of the Bible and I want to have eternal life. What do I lack? And Jesus says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he went away sad. And of course, this story isn't just saying that God will always call every single one of us to sell everything and give it to the poor. Although sometimes we really like to make a lot of excuses about why that doesn't say that. But it does remind us that Jesus was saying, you're trying to find one little loophole so you can follow my, you're trying to fit my ways into your kingdom and I think I need to turn your kingdom upside down. And that's what it would take for him to do that. Some of us it would take different things. And so Jesus was pretty clear about what the ways of the kingdom would often include for his followers. And in Luke 14, he says this, he tells another couple stories and he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and aren't able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, that person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whatever he is able, whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And if he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Now here's the key part. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. The kingdom of God was never meant to be this thing that we fit into our current kingdom, that we kind of added on, but that in fact we are living radically different ways with kingdom values in everything that we do. It's an invitation to living life a totally different way. And I admit that sometimes I feel like, you know what, I made a lot of sacrifices for the kingdom. I became a pastor. This is what I do uh, literally as my profession. And some of you, of course, give up lots of, I shouldn't say you give things up in that way, but your careers are different. But you have equally said, I'm living my life for Jesus. But day to day, what some of that call meant for me when Jesus called me to serve in this way, I think, you know, like I could have had jobs that make a bit more money. Like I went to school a long time, my friends. And you do have those moments where you think, oh man, is this worth it? Is this worth it? And then I think of this story in the book of John, another follower of Jesus. And when he says, uh, when it says this, and it's actually Jesus working. He's teaching a bunch of his followers, people who've been following him. It actually says a bunch of the disciples turn and walk away. And it reads in John 6, 67 to 68. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. That was his closest disciples. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And sometimes when I have those moments where I'm like, I can't help but coming back to saying, but Lord, to whom else shall we go? Lord, who else will I follow? What other way would I live? This is truly, I believe, the way to eternal life and a life of joy in this life. This has truly been the way for me, not just as a pastor, but as a follower of Jesus. And when I take, when I look back at the times I've said, I'm actually going to live very consciously the ways of Jesus, I'm like, Jesus knew what he was doing. 
smart. I think uh, what, we all have different things that we struggle with in terms of living the ways of Jesus. For some of us, it would be generosity or how we give. For others, it might be having faith. And for me, sometimes it's learning not to speak when I want to speak. None of you will be surprised. And so, wow, that laugh was hearty. So, receive, take it in. And... Um, and so for me, I have a strong personality, I feel things really strongly, and I often want to defend myself and make sure people know what's right and speak into situations, right? And so uh, once I preached a sermon about peace and Jesus saying that we are called to be peacemakers, and I invited all of you, this was a couple years ago, I invited all of you to think about what it would mean to choose peace that week. And I was personally convicted by that idea. And a couple of days later, I received an email about a situation that I was involved in from someone, and I felt the email was really harsh, and I felt the person had been attacking. And it wasn't the first time that I'd received an attacking email from someone in this situation in which I was involved. And I was feeling impatient, and I wanted to defend myself. So I very quickly, and I should be clear that I was right in this situation. So I... <laughs> I wanted to write back and make my rightness very clear that this perception that they had was inaccurate and let me explain why. And so I write the email and I look at the email and then I remember this thing that Jesus said to be a peacemaker. Hmm. And I look at the email and I say, so have I chosen peace in this email? No. Delete the whole... So I go back the next day, write the email again. Write the whole email. This time it's a little different. And then I look at it again and I say, did I choose peace in this email? And I knew the answer was still no. I'd still chosen trying to prove that I was right. Anyway, it took me five days <laughs> before I got to the email where I could honestly say, this is the email where I've chosen peace. Where I've said... This email is about seeking peace between us and not proving myself to be right. So I send the email, and they write back. And this was someone that I'd had some uh, tumultuous emails from, and the person wrote back and said, you know, thank you for your email. Let's meet and have a talk. And we had the most beautiful talk, and we have never had tension since. And I had to go, you see, to whom else shall I go? The ways of the kingdom are good ways. They are the ways of life. That when we put others first, we are set free from the need to prove ourselves. That when we forgive, instead of giving something off, we actually find healing, not more pain. That when we live in a world where everyone thrives, where we actually care about what happens to others, even if they like aren't part of our country or they're not the same people as us, that we actually care about all of them, that that makes everyone in our world find greater joy instead of protecting our own. It's not one where we seek to get more stuff for ourselves because everything we own is on loan from God anyway. This is life-changing stuff, actually. It's radical if we lived it radically. But we do forget. And that's kind of like the orchids, right? As I said, you can go to Fortino's and buy an orchid for $12.99. Because at one point what happened is after years where like orchid hunters would go and they'd send back 30,000 plants and one would survive and they'd sell it for $1,000 in the 1800s. Now they figured out how to make plants grow in different environments. Any of you could go get an orchid today. And so for us to think of an orchid as so profoundly valuable is probably very bizarre. I, in fact, had an orchid for about six months, and I just found it such a burden that I let the thing die. Can you imagine? I was like, an ice cube once a week? I can't handle this. This is too much. 
And so we might forget that there was a time when people died for orchids. And you know, the same thing happens with us in the kingdom of God. We watch the big deal about the teachings of Jesus, forgetting that there was and still are people who die, who die, give their whole lives, risk their lives every day to be able to live the truth of God's kingdom, to be able to say, no, certain people do not matter to others, to be able to say, no, there is a way of righteousness that does not come from hate and from violence, to be able to say, I will not bow to a leader that is not Jesus, and they die for that. And we forget it. And we take it for granted. And sometimes we even forget that it can be the way of life. I remember many years ago, I preached a sermon here. And in the sermon I was talking about, um, I can't remember exactly the theme, but I told a story about, I guess, the choices we make. And I talked about how growing up I really loved swimming. And it was probably the only sport I could actually do with any level of success. But I was from a small place, and uh, swimming lessons were about a 45-minute drive away. My mom used to drive me. But I got to a level of swimming lessons when I, the, the next level would be that I'd train to be a lifeguard. And uh, those lessons were on Sundays. And that was, one, and my mother was like, I'm not going to drive you, right? We go to church as a family on Sundays. I'm not driving you to that. When you get older, you could get, when you get your own license, I mean, I couldn't even be a lifeguard until you're 16 anyway, you can go but this is our family decision. So I told this story in a sermon, and I was talking about, you know, the values we can have and all those things. And I was using it as an example that I was pleased that my parents had made that choice. That was the way they chose to live out their values. No guilt if you're not always here on Sunday. But that was a big value they had. And do you know how many people came up to me after and said, but you know, you could have made a lot of money as a lifeguard. Like from the church. And I would look at them and go, do you think it worked out? Like, I ended up as a minister, you guys. Like, I think going to church was the right choice, right? You know, so it was like, it might have been the right call there. But it was interesting that there was still that little part of us that said, but the world's values, you know, like she might have missed the mark. We doubt it sometimes. And I even do it myself. Once I had this uh, really good friend, we were actually in seminary together, we were studying together, and he told me this story that to this day cracks me up. He um, had made it to the Taco Bell Olympics. Did you know the Taco Bell has Olympics? Yeah, he told the story. I was killing myself laughing. And as a teenager, um, he'd worked at Taco Bell for many years. And certain level of prestige employees, they have these Olympics where they go and, I don't know, like they practice like rolling burritos. I don't know what happens. But it was in this other, I want to say it was in Korea. Like it was, it was, like it was, would have been a cool trip. He was from Saskatchewan. And so he hadn't been chosen from Canada to represent Canada at the Taco Bell Olympics. Real thing. I'm not making this up. And so... And then he told the story to us, and he said, but then I discovered, um, he was going to Bible college, that I would miss my first week of orientation to Bible college. And I decided not to go. I decided to go to Bible college. And you know what I said? Oh, that's too bad. You should have went. And once again, he was like, Leanne, it worked out. Like, here I am, right? It's funny that we still go, oh, but the world's, oh, but the world, but the world. Forgetting that we can say, but to whom else shall we go? that this is actually the way of life and we will not be shortchanged in God's kingdom. So here is my invitation to you. I invite you to live into the kingdom. And I mean that wholeheartedly and with all your heart. When people look at you weird and when you say this is inconvenient and awkward and I don't want to do it and this other thing makes more sense and I would rather do this thing to actually say, you know what, this week I'm going to live 
Love, justice, mercy, hope. I'm going to choose peace when I want to choose violence. I'm going to choose forgiveness when I want to choose to hold grudges. I'm going to choose generosity when I want to keep it for myself. I'm going to choose holiness when I want to choose to do the things that I think would be maybe better for me in different ways. I'm going to trust that what God said was good and that the ways of Jesus' kingdom will not only bring me joy and eternal life, but that it will be better for the whole world because they are the ways of Jesus. And if you're not sure how to do that, my invitation is to pick one thing and start practicing. And this is where I'm going to read a little story that I, I know I've read here before, but I still love it. And uh, it's called The Battle of the Desk, and it's in this book called Out of the Salt Shaker. Um, and it's written by a woman who uh, worked in colleges um, and helped mentor students and so on as they were uh, growing in their faith as Christians. And she begins by saying how there was a woman that had started to connect to this Christian group that she was a part of, a bunch of other students. Her friend Larry, had her name was Sue, and Sue's friend Larry become a Christian. And she says to her, I've seen what faith in Christ has done for Larry. I see the love these Christians have for each other in me. I've seen what Jesus is like in the Gospels. And a lot of my questions have been answered, but I still don't believe. I'd like to find God, but I'm plagued with doubts. Please don't ask me to pray to receive Christ. It would be dishonest. What should I do? That's what she asked the author of this book. Great question. Leanne, what, what do I do? Like, help me do this. So I suggested that she read the scriptures and look for an opportunity to put them into practice. She gulped and said, that's radical, but I'll try. Then she told this story. So this is Sue's story. One day I read in the Bible the words of Jesus. If someone steals your coat, don't let him have only that, but offer your cloak as well. For whatever reason, that verse hit me between the eyes. So I said to the four walls, listen walls, or God, if you're there, I'm going to do what this verse says. If the opportunity arises today, I want you to remind me that I'm trying to do your things your way in order to find out if you exist and if Jesus is who he says he is, amen. That day I went by and I forgot the verse, and then I headed to the library to work on my senior thesis. As I sat down at my designated desk, this guy comes up and starts yelling me. He told me the school hadn't given him his thesis desk. Some of you who are in school will empathize with this in particularly. So he was going to take mine. These desks are very important to get your work done. The school only gives you one. I started yelling back, and pretty soon we were causing a ruckus. But, was when he, but then he glared at me and said, look, I'm stealing from you whether you like it or not. And it hit me. I just looked at him and moaned, oh, no. I can't believe it. And to myself, I said, look, God, if you're there, I do want to know if Jesus is God, but isn't there some other way of finding out besides obeying that verse? I mean, couldn't I tithe or get baptized or give up something else? Please don't take my thesis desk. But I couldn't escape the fact that I'd read that verse that day that someone tried to rob me. Before, I'd always been amused to see how Jesus aimed for whatever was controlling the person in his conversations with people in the Bible. But now it didn't seem funny. I took a deep breath, tried not to swear, and said, okay, let me think about it. He looked bewildered. But at that moment, the librarian came up. She said she'd heard the conversation, was upset by his behavior, but he began swearing at her and intimidated her. So she said we had to go to our thesis, his thesis advisor. So we trotted over to his advisor's office. It was clear to me by now that this guy carried a lot of rage. And the more the guy ranted and raved, the more agitated the advisor became. And finally, the advisor said, well, what does Sue think we should do? All this time, I kept thinking about what I'd seen in these past few months. I'd seen Larry's life changed. I'd seen something beautiful in Christian fellowship, something so real I could almost touch it. 
And even though I was not a Christian, I had been loved. And I'd seen Jesus in the Bible. I felt drawn to them. And I realized that even without this desk, somehow I still had more than this poor guy. And I told the advisor that he could have the desk, and the meeting was over. When we walked out the door, this guy grabbed my arm and asked me why in the world I let him have it. Have it. And he told me he would think I had flipped out, but I was trying to discover if Jesus was really who he claimed to be. And in order to know if Jesus was really the way of God, I was attempting to obey the things he had told us. So today I read that if somebody tried to rip me off, I was supposed to let them and throw in something extra to boot. So I'm giving you the desk, but don't press your luck on something extra. <laughs> and then he said, why in the world would Jesus say such a crazy thing? It is actually crazy. We forget. And then I said, if there's one thing I've learned from reading about Jesus and meeting these Christians, it's that Jesus wants to give us a whole lot more than a thesis desk if we let him. I think the idea is that it's knowing Jesus that makes us rich, not possessions. So the thesis desk is yours. And then she says, because this is Sue telling this to her friend. She said, Becky, as I said those words, I simply knew they were true. I knew it from the inside out. I kind of felt like God was saying, well done. That's how I want my children to behave. And so if you're not quite sure, see what happens. When you live as if the kingdom is true, where can you start by saying, I will live God's kingdom values today, believing that they are a treasure and not a burden? Where will you give generously because you realize it's all God's anyway? Where will you be radically accepting when all your desire is to build walls up between you and someone else? Where will you wait instead of insisting on your timing because it's hard to be patient? Where will you invite others with an open and whole heart? And if those are too big, where can you start really small like mustard seeds and yeasts? I know it is messy and complicated, and it doesn't always lead to wealth, health, or any of those things that we think we should have. And it is a treasure. To whom else shall we go? These are the words of eternal life. Let's pray. God, your treasure isn't always easy. But would you remind us that there is nothing better to live for? And God, in those places where we find it hard, give us that call today. Fill us with your spirit to say, I'm going to live like it's true. And may your kingdom come. Amen.